On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we chat with Terps' new pitching coach, Corey Muscara, about his transition from St. John's University to College Park and what it's like being the third pitching coach in three years for this Terps baseball program. Plus, we sit down, myself and Connor Newcomb, and have a fun chat about the Terps' schedule, the most exciting midweek game, most exciting weekend series, and the most exciting game overall. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 44 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Kind of a holiday edition here as right now when this is being recorded, it's Christmas Eve. That means Christmas is tomorrow if I have my calendar correct. New Year's is coming up and well, when 2018 strikes, Maryland baseball will be right around the corner. February 16th in Knoxville, Tennessee. We'll be there. You'll be listening, hopefully, or watching somewhere, and it's going to be a very exciting time. As you heard, I'm Justin Galanti, Connor Newcomb here with me. Connor, how excited are you getting for the start of the season? I mean, this year might be even a little more exciting. Terps coming home a little bit earlier this season. It's going to be a cold one February 23rd through the 25th hosting Army, but the Terps, after that Tennessee series and a midweek in Virginia, they're coming home. So baseball in College Park even getting starting a little bit earlier, so I'm amped for the 2018 season. Well, one person I know is amped is new pitching coach Corey Muscara, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him for a while uh, about his transition here, what it's like being part of a program where they've had three pitching coaches in three years and all the returning guys that this team has. So let's get to that chat. Now joined by Maryland first-year pitching coach Corey Muscara on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Coach, thanks so much for taking some time out of your schedule. Yeah, no problem. What can I? Uh, what, do, what would you like to talk about? Well, let's let's talk about everything, starting with your transition to College Park. You've been here a few months now. What's it been like? How have you been enjoying the Maryland area? It's been awesome. It's been a great transition, and um, I, you know, the thing that really stands out for me is the people in Maryland baseball. You know, it's it's the twentieth of December right now, and I'm sitting here in the office with Coach Papio. He's getting after it. We're uh, we're trying to finalize some details of a camp that we have coming up. He's trying to get teams to come in this summer. Um, he's always working. And for me, like just the people that were around here every day, um, head coach, Rob Vaughn, Matt Swope, Anthony Papio, Megan Kane, even our strength coach, um, Will Franco, like everybody involved here, even uh guy who's helping out in Brandon Irby. We have some people that are really passionate. They really want to learn. Um, they possess growth mindsets, which we talk about a lot in our program. And um, it's just a great place to come to work every day. So for me, um, I'm loving it. And the area has been good, too. Um, my wife seems to be pretty happy with it. And, you know, that was tough moving away from her family in New York. Happy wife, happy, happy life. That's what they say, right? That's very true. <laughs> I was told that when I got married and some of the most truest advice I've ever received. <laughs> so, so you come here after five years at St. John's, a very successful run. And at least from a campus perspective and a location perspective, St. John's and the University of Maryland 
kind of could not be more different. St. John's kind of a city school out of New York, and there are some challenges that are presented with recruiting to a place like that. And then you have Maryland, which obviously I'm biased, and I'm sure you're biased right now, but seems to have every opportunity in the world, both baseball-wise, academic-wise, and everything uh, you'd want in a college experience. What's been the biggest change for you from St. John's to Maryland? You know, to be honest with you, like, I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't easier to get kids to want to come here and commit here, but my approach hasn't really changed. Um, and I'll tell you why, like, you know, there was some, a lot of kids that wouldn't fit into the demographic that wanted to play in Queens. However, what we, what I centered around my recruiting was about having strong relationships and truly getting to know the kids. So in order to do that, you really have to forge a bond with the kid you're recruiting and it's a two way street. So you have to figure out who they are and really get to know them. And that helps you weed out the right kid for you. But in the same breath, like a lot of times the kids were coming to play for you because of not just what you were going to do to help them as a baseball player, but how are you going to help them be a better person? Um, So I've taken a lot of those philosophies and tactics and skills that I've used there to forge those relationships and brought them over here in how I recruit kids. The only difference is now when kids come on campus, it's usually a better response. Also, um, we tend to be fighting for kids here that are um, being courted by more schools. I can't say that like the kids are of significantly higher caliber because a very similar type player to the kids that I got at uh, St. John's. It just seems that there's more people on them. You know, it's more suitors, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so it really comes down to making sure we find the right fit for the player in our program. Um, There's a lot of great coaches out there that talk about this in recruitment. And it's not about getting the most talented players. It truly is about finding the kids that are going to fit your culture the best. And, you know, for me, that's kids that want to learn. Kids that you want to show up to work and be around every day. Um, Kids that uh, have a ton of passion that um, are willing to try new things, that are not afraid to fail, um, that don't fear failure, that have faced some types of adversity, that have a little bit of toughness to them. And, um, you know, if they can have all those qualities and have some athletic ability, they're probably going to be very good. I think too often, especially now how our sport recruits, um, people make it all about finding the game with the most talent. And that's not the answer you know um in baseball more than any other of the big five sports in our country you can turn on a game and see a kid that signed out of high school signed out of a division two school division three school a junior college um perhaps he was a free agent sign perhaps he was an international sign so they come from everywhere there's players everywhere and they all develop late you know you can't turn an nfl game on and see like an international sign, a free agent sign, a, a division three player, a division two player, a junior college, a high school kid doesn't happen. You know, in baseball, like half the rosters are, are mixed with players like that, you know? So if that's the case and development is a big component to that. And if you're going to develop players, you have to, you have to find the kids that want to develop, you know? Right. And that goes a little bit back to what Coach Vaughn was telling us on the podcast last month about OKGs, our kind of guys. That's what That's right. uh, you guys are looking for. Now, 
100%. OKGs, you don't have OKGs, and you're not going to get very far. <laughs> so uh, speaking of recruitment, uh, you were someone who was recruited to Maryland by Coach Vaughn a few months ago. Uh, what was that process like for you? There were stories about uh, recruiting battles that you and Coach Vaughn had uh, when you were at St. John's and he was the hitting coach here at Maryland. Where did that process start, and kind of what was the pitch from him that got you to College Park? Well, when – you're an assistant coach at the division one level and you are trying, you know, to get to Omaha or compete at a national level, you're constantly on the road recruiting. So him and I were both guys that did a lot of the recruiting. Um, and we'd always be at the same game, you know, like, and when you go to a tournament, you could be at a field for three, four hours. You could be at a complex for an entire day. And I would see him, in the course of a summer, you know, 10 times, 15 times. And eventually you start seeing somebody that many times you start to talk to them, you know, and I can't say that we started to talk to each other right away, but probably after like the third or fourth year, we were on the same circuit and being at so many of the same games, we started to have conversation, talk about some different things and get to know each other a little bit. Um, they were having a lot of success on the field and recruiting, and we were having some success on the field and recruiting and, we tend to be going after a lot of the same guys in the region. So we just had some conversation about coaching strategy and techniques and styles. And I think we hit it off pretty well. Um, and then this summer I, I had a, a few opportunities and um, to go other schools. But for me, it's, it wasn't just about going to a bigger conference or more money. It was about just like I try to find a recruiting. It was about finding the right fit. And uh, Maryland appealed to me because of the location, because it wasn't that far away from my wife's family in comparison to the other schools I was looking at. And because I felt like with Coach Vaughn, we had very similar um, ideologies when it came to coaching and when it came to our family lives and stuff like that. And we were both very young. You know, he's 30. I'm 32. I just turned 32. So we're both on the younger side. And, and, you know, our kids are the same age. I just felt like there was a lot of similarities there. Um, so for me, I felt like overall that was the best fit. And, you know, since I've been here, it's done nothing but prove that every day. You know, like I, I know I made the right decision. And so for me, he didn't really have to win me personally over. Like I wanted to work with him. It was more trying to convince my wife, to be honest <laughs> with you. You know? Yeah, and, I, and I've heard there's been quite the bond forged between your son, Theo, and his son, Wyatt. Yeah, well, the, the great thing about it is they're the same age. Like, literally, I think Theo's born in August, or excuse me, um, Wyatt's born in August, and uh, Theodore is born in November. So they're very, very close in age. Um, and we do a lot of things together um, in terms of, like, whether it's going out to dinner like we did this weekend, went out to brunch as a staff, or he had everybody over his house for a holiday thing, including the team and our, both our kids were there. And, you know, when the Con when Conor McGregor fought uh, Floyd Mayweather, he had all the coaching staff over and the kids were there. So, you know, it's exactly those type of things as to why I'm here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't going to go somewhere where, you know, my kid couldn't be involved. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so for me, I think that that's one of the really cool dynamics about, coaching here but also being a part of this program as a player you know as we try to have our family very involved and we try to live what we preach you know um 
and that is like, of course we want to win. Of course we want to get to Omaha. We want to compete for a national championship and win Big Ten championships. Like, of course that's what we're trying to do. That's why we work so hard. But at the end of the day, like that's not what defines us. You know what I mean? Like, if you're defined by your results, then ultimately, if you don't win a national title, then you had a failure for a season. Like, if you're if you're defined by how you can be ultra successful in many different avenues then you have a chance to have a lot of great years, you know? And I think that that's really what makes this place so special is we, we define success as like, how do our kids do in the classroom? How are our kids as people? Are they developing in their skill sets? Are they developing as people? Do they have passion? Do they treat others right? Um, do they really focus on the process? Are they process oriented over result oriented? Um, are they willing to learn new things? You know, is our team culture, uh, aggressive, competitive, um, consistent, you know, and if we do those things and we have a ton of passion and pride in all of those things, and it's not just like buzzwords, it's not just verbiage. It's not just like eyewash, if you will, then ultimately the big wins are going to take care of themselves, you know, and you hear that from any great coach. You, you really study people that are successful in any endeavor. They're going to tell you about that. They're going to say, Hey man, it's about, you know, focusing on these little details about specific practice. It's about, you know, locking in on the now. And, um, you know, that's why I love it here because that truly is what we're about, you know? Right. Uh, it's, it's not just about trying to bring in as many players as possible and the most talented players and moving them on. It's about trying to make the ones we have here, not just the best player they can be, but the best person they can be. Now, when this staff got put together, you, Coach Vaughn, Coach Swope, Coach Papio, um, there was a recruiting trip down to Georgia that I've heard a lot about, and Coach Swope was kind of the most vocal in saying that he was a little uh, taken aback, I guess, by how late you were keeping him up every night, and <laughs> he couldn't quite handle it. So I would, and I think everyone would want to hear your side of that trip down to Georgia. I mean, basically, I. I did an immense amount of recruiting when I was at St. John's and um, I had been off the road with what we call it more on the summer circuit. I had been off the road for like two weeks because I was transitioning from going to St. John's to Maryland. So I, I wasn't really allowed to recruit for two weeks in the middle of primetime recruiting season in the summer. And you have to understand, like I, I recruited every summer, every day for five years, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then most of the fall and spring. So for me, not being able to recruit in the middle of the primetime recruiting season for two weeks was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. You know what I mean? I was like, what is going on right now? So I jokingly referred to this with coach Vaughn as I felt like I was a pent up pit bull. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and then when I got to Georgia, which is like our big event of the summer, you know, I was just fired up because I was in a new place. Um, I was completely rejuvenated from not having done anything for two weeks um, and I was ready to go. And so I was just like, I guess I was up all night, but I was just excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and the thing is too, like, you gotta understand like the games in Georgia, like there's so many rainouts with thunderstorms and stuff like that. So, you know, you could be at a field at Lake point until two o'clock in the morning. Like that's not, that's not abnormal. That's actually pretty common, you know? Um, so I'd get back from the field, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning and yeah, I, I probably drank like five Red Bulls already, so I have a ton of energy, and I'm just fired up. So I come back, I'm all excited, and yeah, I don't know, I was just ready to go. 
So, and then we had to get up the next morning, get to be at the field by eight. So I'd wake up, you know, five thirty-six, ready to go. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was it, I crashed and burned by the end of the week. I was like <laughs> completely out of gas because it was fourteen straight days of that. But, but it all um, it all worked out, and everyone uh, seemed to bond together well, and the relationship seemed to have grown over the last few weeks. Speaking about or the last few months, speaking about the team, uh, this year's team at Maryland specifically. When you came aboard as the pitching coach, um, I have a guess of who the answer is to this question, but was there a player that you reached out to kind of right away to talk about the system and implementing uh, kind of your mentality into this program? Yeah. Um, well, to be honest with you, there's two. Um, so I, I was working at camp, actually, and Taylor Bloom was working the camp. So I got to know Taylor. I knew that he'd be a senior and he'd be a pretty key key cog for us. So he was the first guy I really talked to, but I actually met him through some of the summer camps we did. Um, and then we just kind of talked that way. Um, and then the first kid I actually, outside of that scenario, brought in was Tyler Blom um, because he had, he had thrown in the summer and he had a higher pitch count. So I wanted him to work this fall, but I also understood the importance of him having some rest so we just needed to get on the same page as far as that. And, you know, I, I wanted to earn his trust, but at the same time, like I needed him to kind of understand somewhere where I was some, you know, some point of where I was coming from. So we kind of had to find that happy medium and compromise. Um, and that worked out really well. He made such good progress this fall. I'm really proud of him. And um, he's really becoming a very passionate learner. Like he's really, fact right before you called i was just looking at the schedule he had sent me and made for this off season and it's extremely detailed and you know he's really making strides both mentally and physically as a player and as a person so i think that went well um you know but i I think communication is the key to anything you know we we say this all the time coach vaughn says it all the time i say it all the time it's a famous john wooden quote it's like they don't know how much they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And for me, that's what those meetings are about. It's about trying to get on the same page with people um, because, you know, you want to provide information for your players. But if you come across as like a dictatorship, they're going to drone you out. They've had three pitching coaches in three years, you mm-hmm. know, and I can relate to that because when I was at Siena College uh, as a player, I had five pitching coaches in my first three years. Um, and it was hard because – Everybody had a different philosophy. Everybody had a different personality. Um, and it made it a challenge, uh, you know, in order to get on the same page. So, I'm curious. Um, so, Tyler, you mentioned he was the Big Ten freshman of the year last year, had a tremendous year. Uh, he'll be a sophomore left-hander. Taylor seemingly has been here forever. And as you mentioned, he's now on his third pitching coach in the last three years. But other than that, um, Brian Schaefer, the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, he got drafted. Ryan Selmer drafted uh, and graduated. Jamal Wade gets drafted. So other than those two, there's not necessarily a whole ton of guys coming back that had a lot of experience last year. So what was your process like kind of learning about all of your pitchers, um, what they kind of had in their repertoire before you got here and when did you start trying to implement your stuff along with what they were kind of already doing? I mean, for me, it's like anything you want to try to get to know a kid first. Okay. 
and I was I had an on ramping period for the first couple of weeks where I was just trying to get their arms in shape. So for all of our guys that were playing summer ball, I shut them down for the month of August from throwing. So I wanted to slowly build their arms up. Okay, so that we had some time there. You know, we had a five week period where we were building their arm strength up to get them ready for the mound. So it was very slow and relaxed. And um, it allowed me to get to know them on a personal level a little bit. Um, and it allowed me to implement some of my throwing protocols, some of my warm up philosophies, different things I believed, you know. Um, and I think the transition went pretty well. Um, you know, for me, I think it's just, it's about investing time in each kid. It's, it's a learning curve. And as you mentioned, you know, we, we had a lot of new players or inexperienced players this fall. Um, so there's a lot of guys eager to prove things and eager to show what they could do, you know, and we are thin on uh, depth in terms of numbers as well. So there's a ton of opportunity for these guys, you know, we, we don't have a lot of pitchers in terms of quantity right now. And we have a lot of guys that are unproven and haven't really pitched at this level before. So as much as that can be um, nerve wracking or it can be, you know, not the ideal situation if you're looking at it as a coach, it's actually a really exciting situation as a coach because you get to teach a lot, you know, and you get to find out what you can do with these guys. And I think for the kids, it's great because there's a ton of opportunity. There's a lot of innings available um, and they have a chance to, to go out and perform, you know? So I think it's, it's every situation you're in. It really, it really comes down to like what your perspective on that situation is. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you, um, if you get worried about a situation or you're nervous, nervous about a situation or you're, you're, un you're uncertain, then, um, you know, the kids feed off that. And, uh, I think it, it makes every situation worse. You know what I mean? So I, I think, you know, for these guys and for me, my, my thought process was, Hey, let's, let's go a little bit slower here. Let's build their arms up. Let's get to know them on a personal level. Let's figure out what things have worked for them and what hasn't worked for them in the past. Let's give them a voice. Let's hear what they have to say. Um, and then with me, everything I do is a choice. So like, I don't coach in, in like a dictatorship. Like I don't say you have to do this. This is how you do it. I mean, even down to how I warm guys up, I call it the warm up buffet. So like I have a whole list of like different um, mobility exercises and things like that you do. And I try to create an environment where kids are going to want to get after it, but they get to pick and choose what exercises they want to do, you know, um, and everything's a choice. So I, that's kind of how I position everything with these guys. Um, and, you know, if you can, if you can get the right, if you can hit the right chord to inspire somebody, they're going to want to, they're going to want to adapt to it because at the end of the day, all a kid ever really wants to do is be successful, you know, like mm -hmm. they all want to be successful. They just need guidance on figuring out how to create that structure and format to be successful. So in terms of this fall, two of the guys that really jumped off the page to me, and I'm sure to you, uh, that maybe weren't expected were Elliot Zollner, who was a freshman last year and only made one appearance, and Hunter Parsons, who had a tremendous freshman year and then struggled as a sophomore. But those guys had tremendous falls. What did you see from them? Okay, well, first of all, there is an enormous amount of talent and ability inside of those two kids. I mean, they have outstanding arms. 
you can look throughout college baseball and you're not going to find kids with like dramatically better arms than them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both upper eighties to low nineties arms with really good fastball movement and action and very good, at least one plus secondary pitch. Elliot has a plus breaking ball and Hunter has a plus changeup. So right off the bat, you're talking about a plus fastball with plus movement and a plus secondary pitch. They just need confidence. You know, that's really it. They need to know that they uh, that people believe in them. They need to um, realize that they have a chance to be successful. They need to simplify the game, and they need to be given opportunity. You know, um, and yes, they had great falls, and we're going to need a lot out of them this spring because they're going to have to be the guys. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I think that when you're put in that situation, you start to see a lot like what kids have in them. You know when they feel like there's a couple people ahead of them and, you know, maybe they feel tentative or um, maybe they don't have as much confidence in their ability, then that's usually when kids tend to overthink or, or try too hard or fear failure. And, you know, their, their natural ability doesn't come through and their preparation is, is all the preparation they put in, um, doesn't get to come through in their work you know what i mean because they're worried about the outcome right uh and hunter uh like we said had a tremendous freshman year and and elliot was a highly recruited highly rated highly recruited pitcher uh, out of maryland so everyone knows it's in there and they hope for big strides from those guys this year now i think coming off last year um people expect that some combination of tyler and taylor will be friday saturday starters there's a question about Sunday. Uh, maybe that's Elliot. Maybe that's Hunter. Maybe that's an Alec Tui, a grad transfer from Buffalo. And then the way he finished last year, I think a lot of people are under the impression uh, John Murphy would be the closer this year. Now, I know that you probably don't want to get into too much detail on that right now, but are, do you think that's kind of on the right track of what what you guys are thinking right now? Yeah, I would think that that's fair. Um you know, for me, I've as the more I do this, every single year, um, how the guys perform will dictate what happens. A lot of times coaches like to put out what they think it's going to be um, before you actually play games, and then they stick to it for a long period of time. For me, I think a lot of it shows when the other team's in the box, you know, mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day, if you give kid, if you're open with kids and say, Hey man, you know, your, your spot, the win or lose, how you throw is going to dictate what happens. If you do that, you keep competition rolling. It's um, you keep spirits and, and, and high and, and kids know that they're not pigeonholed into one thing, you know, um, in a perfect world. Yeah. I think that that's probably what could happen. But I also know that you can't win championships or be really successful unless you have middle relievers that can get you to the closer, you know, or that can sometimes a saves a save in the seventh, not the ninth, you know. So you need to have those guys step up and perform in those roles as well. Um, In order to be a great pitching staff and win a lot of games, you need to have eight extremely reliable arms that you can ring the bell with on a consistent basis. You need to have 10 or 11 arms that see action and time. And, um, you know, the reality of where we're at is we have about 13 arms period. So that doesn't really leave you any, um, place to not have somebody 
contribute. You know what I mean? Like they all have to contribute. Um, you know, and I think that that's where the games are going to dictate all that. I talked to Coach Vaughn about this a little bit, but I'd like to get your perspective on it as, of course, the pitching coach. Uh, Kevin Beyond a few years here as a position player, first baseman, had a good summer in the Northwoods League, and he started pitching out there. He pitched some in fall ball. I think everybody's curious. Uh, he throws a knuckleball. Apparently he's throwing pretty hard. How realistic is it to say that Kevin Biondic will be a reliable arm this year for the Terps? Well, he's competitive as it gets, and the mind is a big part of it. You know, The stuff's good, and he's competitive. That's two good starting points. You know, mm-hmm. um, For me, if I can just keep it really simple for him, and try to put him in the situations where he can most succeed. I think it's very realistic, you know? Um, I, I think the beauty of, of Kev is he's such a great competitor and he's, he's pretty simple meat and potatoes type of guy that if I, if we just say, Hey man, just throw the ball over the plate, you know, and, and not try to cloud him with too much other stuff. I think he's got a chance to be really successful, you know? And something that this coaching staff has talked a lot about is, all the coaches being well-rounded. So Matt Swope, the hitting coach, is not only dealing with hitters, and then that would mean you are not only dealing with pitchers. So what's that been like with you kind of dealing with an entire team? Is that different than what you've done in the past, and has that been an adjustment for you? I, it, for me, it's not really different because I've I've always recruited, all, like, the majority of the players. You know, I've always recruited hitters, infielders, position players. I've never just recruited pitchers. So – I've always had that crossover because of, you know, when you, when you recruit somebody, you spend a long time with them prior to getting to school. You know what I mean? So when kids got to campus, our shortstop, our second baseman or whatever, like I, I would already have that relationship with them because I had recruited them for three years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that part of it's not different. Um, the thing I like about it here is, you know, coach Papio will come out to the pen during our individuals and, He'll talk to guys about, you know, how to activate their glutes or work in their lower half because it's the same function that you do when you swing, you know, or like he, if he wants to get a throwing program for an outfitter, like I'll go out to that there and help him with that or talk to him about that. Or, you know, we both want to try to incorporate flexibility. So we'll kind of, you know, get on calls with people, talk to you about how we can incorporate that into what we're doing. You know, academically, everybody here cares about these these kids as not just players, but as people. So there's a like, you know, Coach Schwope, uh, even Megan Keane, our director of operations, Coach Papio, like everybody's checking on different guys in their groups on how they're doing academically. We all care about leadership and culture. So, you know, there's that cross section going on everywhere. I'm very involved with the catchers and trying to get them to understand what our pitchers are trying to do, you know, where they need to set up, what what we're trying to, how we're trying to set up hitters, you know, and then obviously coach Vaughn's in, in, in depth with everybody on that, you know, and his big passion, and I'm sure he'll tell you this is leadership. He's very passionate about that. And, and to him, it's something that it really interests him and it excites him. So he's trying to do that with all of our guys. You know, he's trying to talk to them about the right way to lead our team, the right way to lead, um, you know, their friend groups, their, their, their future families and, and, and do the right thing and be responsible. So he's cross, he's in, you know, every, everywhere with that as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we can all be pulling the same rope and it's not pitchers versus hitters or hitters versus pitchers, or, you know, we do our part, you do your part. You have a better chance to be successful as a team. Every time you watch major league baseball teams 
in postseason play, they are playing with energy. They're playing with joy. They have their secret handshakes. They have their fun. They get on second base. They're throwing out bone arrows. They're doing you know, deer antlers. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're, they're acting like kids, and they're pulling for each other. That's what happens when you when you all pull the same rope and you're really enjoying playing the game and you're really focused on the process. Good things happen. And that's what we're trying to cultivate here. You know, speaking of enjoying the game, uh, it seemed like your pitchers at St. John's did quite a bit of that. There were uh, some interesting bullpen antics that went on throughout the season. There was uh, your bullpen had its own Twitter account for all the stuff they did out there. How much of a part of that? Uh, did you play in, I guess, and have you seen some of the stuff that went on here at Maryland in the Big Ten tournament last year? How much does that all kind of factor into your philosophy? I, I have seen the videos from the Big Ten tournament last year. I've utilized them in recruiting. <laughs> um, and, of course, I, I'm very familiar with the bullpen antics. So my big thing that I try to create is I, I – like you've heard me say this, learn, learn, learn. Like I say it all the time, right? Like I'm really – I guess anal is the word for like making sure that guys are trying to um, hone in on their craft and taking ownership of their craft. So I spent a, a heavy amount of time saying, Hey, this is you're the best coach you're ever going to have is you like, you need to read, you need to study, you need to take ownership. We got, Hey, did you do this day? Did you do that day? Did you do this day? All right. So I am very much on that, but in the same breath, I feel that kids need to enjoy their time. Like you need to be able to be your best coach and be diligent on what you need to do for your specific skill set, but at the same time you need to sh- you need to be excited to show up to the yard every day. If you're not, you're not going to have that same focus or passion in your skill set. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So for me, that manifested itself. And like when we would do our warmups, I had I kind of created a little bit of a routine and schedule flow through our days. So like I would have music always playing in the bullpen. I still bring that into now, like every practice, anytime you come out to the field, like there's speakers playing on the loudspeaker, but there's also speak, there's also music going on in the bullpen. And then we have our time where we visualize and we, you know, we literally close our eyes and we visualize our success and our game plan and what we're going to do. And then we have our, like, I call it free time basically. And they, you know, that free time is where it turned into like, they started doing all these things like these bullpen antics basically. And they were used like our plyo balls that we warm up with. They would use our, um, body blades that we would have and they would use them as guitars and they would use them as I mean everything they used <laughs> they did a track and field thing one time they were they did another thing where they were like I don't even know they 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 did some pretty creative funny stuff but you know we were winning a lot of games at that point and uh, the energy level was high and you know there wasn't anywhere else that those guys wanted to be at that point but right there then and there you know and I think that allowed us to play with a lot of freedom and looseness because we were very young on the pitching staff we had we had five freshmen that accounted for over 60 percent of our innings last year so I think that's how they were able to thrive because they kept it so loose you know something you mentioned right off the top was growth mentality and I've heard that kind of buzz phrase from everyone on the coaching staff and I've heard from everyone if you don't think this program is going to win a national championship and win one soon, uh, then why be here? What does growth mentality kind of mean to you? So I talk a lot about growth versus fixed, right? So fixed mindset is somebody that only concerns himself with results and their self-worth is tied to how good they are at a, a specific thing. 
So people that are really, really consumed with what their status is in, in any endeavor, they don't tend to push themselves to the brink of failure and they don't push themselves into um, adverse situations because they don't want to be deemed as a failure. So you have this fixed mindset that like only I can only achieve, you know, this point, this is what I'm good at. This is my comfort zone. I'm staying in my lane. This is where I feel good. That's a fixed mindset. I'm a big, big believer in growth mindset. And that's where you push the envelope. You know, you put yourself into uncomfortable areas. You try things that are more challenging. You, um, you know, if everyone's going uh, right, you go left. Whatever it is, you try to do something that's a little bit different, um, but a little bit more challenging. And that you actually grow stronger from making mistakes and learning from them. I literally went to the graduation at uh, the business school, the Smith Business School this morning. Megan Kane, our director of operations, graduated. And um, the speaker that they had, who was a Maryland alum, um, very successful businesswoman, she gave her speech today and she literally talked about this. She talked about in her three, her three goals or suggestions she had, ideas, I think is what she called them, because she didn't want to give advice. She said people don't listen to advice or lectures. So she called them ideas. Her first idea that she talked about was literally a growth mindset and learning from failure. Um, so, I mean, anyone that's successful will tell you that that is, that is the key focus. Um, and we actually talk about it on our recruiting trips. We talk about it with our players all the time. And she references today and we say this all the time. I don't believe in losing. I believe in learning, you know, so if you only lose if you start to complain and make excuses. That's when you lose, you know, when you start to say like, Oh, well, I can't do this, or you know, this doesn't work because of this, or that guy messed up, or this guy made a bad call. Or, you know, that's when you lose. You're a loser then. But if you can look at how it went wrong, dissect it, and then come up with a game plan and go back at it and attack it, then you're not losing. You're learning. And my question to you is, how do you beat somebody like that? Like, if their focus is like, I'm just going to get better at everything. Like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this better. I'm gonna do that better. I'm gonna understand this better. I'm gonna be more thankful for this. I'm gonna do this. But you know what I mean? If you start attacking every little area and every facet with that same mentality and approach, <clears throat> it's really tough to combat that person. You know, mm -hmm. I'll actually give you this right now. So, coach is reading a book by Simon Sinek right now called The Why. Okay, Simon Sinek is like this great writer. Gives a lot of speeches and stuff like that. And he um he actually talked about um. He was, he went and spoke to Microsoft. Okay. And I actually got this from Brandon Irby, who's, who helps us out. Right. And he's, uh, he's been a, another person. That's why I love this program. Cause there's so many people here that are constantly trying to learn and grow. So Brandon was telling me this. He said that Simon went and talked to, um, Microsoft at one of their, um, like conventions they had. And he talked to all the board of directors at Microsoft. And when they were, when he was in that meeting, um, all the people on the board were talking about how they could beat Apple. Like all the questions were consumed with how do I beat Apple? How do I beat Apple? How do I beat Apple? So that's an actual fixed result. They're looking for a specific result. Okay. When he, a couple of years later, he was fortunate enough, Simon Sinek, to go speak to um, Apple. And when Apple, when he was in there, all the board of directors and the higher ups at Apple were talking about how do we make our product simpler, easier to use? How do we reach kids? How do, we, how do we make a better footprint in today's society? How do we have a better workplace environment? Never once did Microsoft ever come up. 
they were looking to add how to improve literally everything they do. That's an infinite mindset. So in business, that is. So they're literally trying to improve everything. How do you compete with them? Because if all you're looking at is the bottom line, right? And the bottom line is like, I need to have a better, a higher stock value. We need to make more money. We need to have better quarterly uh, returns. You know, that's really easy to look at who wins and loses that. But when you put your value on how do we improve it, everything we do, how do we, how we become better people? How do we, how do we learn easier and faster? How do we push ourselves new to new heights and how are we better dads, better husbands? How, how do we, how are we better students? You know, mm-hmm. how do you really judge that program if that's what they're trying to do? And that's what we're trying to do. So the residual of that is, yeah, we're, we think we can win a national title. Why not? You know, why not? Exactly. Yeah. There's no reason why we can't. If we're going to do all these other things, great. Why can't that happen? You know, so. Well, that's what everyone's hoping for. And, and before I get to my final question to you, since you mentioned it quickly, uh, congratulations to Megan Kane on her uh, graduation. She uh, helped host the podcast at the end of last season and obviously a great friend to Maryland Baseball and the Maryland Baseball Network. So biggest of congratulations to Maryland. Or excuse me, to Megan, not to Maryland. It was a gift to Maryland that Megan was it has been here. But congratulations to Megan. Uh, and I guess to end with you, in as many or as few words as you would like, what do you want people to know about yourself and this year's team? We, hmm. not the what? easiest question, but. No, it's a tough question. You got real <laughs> deep with me on that last one. Um, I would say this. I love what I do. And um, I'm very lucky to be a coach and, and have the support of my wife and have a great family. So that's the number one thing I want people to know about me is like I'm really happy and love what I do. And my hope is that our guys this year are going to play with that same love and passion that I have for this game. They're going to play with. And they're going to play fearlessly and they're going to play with a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And if they can buy into that, then good things will come as a byproduct of that. So that's what I would say. Well, Coach, really appreciate you taking the time here. You, I'd have to go back, do some quick research, but you, you might win the award of longest interview on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And really appreciate appreciate having you here. I'm sure we'll talk to you a ton throughout the season. I know you are probably as excited as I and everyone is for February 16th down in Knoxville uh, to come around the corner. And, of course, wish you and your family uh, a very happy holidays. Sounds good. Thanks for taking the time out of your day as well, and um, have a great holiday, okay? Our thanks to Coach Muscara for taking the time to join us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And, Connor, I said it to him, that might be the record for the longest interview on the NBN podcast, but I think it was well worth it. A lot of energy coming from Coach Muscara. Yeah, new pitching coach, he's got a lot to say about this staff. I mean, I know Brian Schaefer gone from last year's team, really the ace of the staff, but the Terps have a lot of young pitchers that Coach Muscara can work with and really turn this into a solid staff in the Big Ten this year. So now we're going to do something fun, I think. We're going to do a little schedule breakdown, but we're not just going to talk about the schedule on every game and things like that. We're going to talk about what we are most looking forward to 
on this 2018 Maryland baseball schedule. The first one under head coach Rob Vaughn. Uh, I hope everyone's ex as excited as we are. We're going to start with the most interesting midweek game of the season. I think there are two pretty obvious choices for this one, Connor. By the way, Connor and I did not discuss our answers before this, so this is going to be completely, if you know, if we have the same answer, we have the same answer. If we don't, we don't. But I want, I'm curious to hear your answer. Most interesting midweek game. I'm going to go off the board here, I think. Uh, this is probably not what you're expecting me to say. I know you might be expecting me to say the game against the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill, but I'm going to go Tuesday, March 27th. The Terps travel to Richmond to take on the Richmond Spiders, and I only say that because of what happened last year when the two teams met in College Park. A 12-11 win for Maryland. They had to come all the way back down eight runs in that game, I believe, in a big three-run homer in the eighth inning by Nick Sieri, tied it. Then Patty Heisel got on base, and Zach Jankarski drove him in for a 12-11 wild midweek win in College Park. So I want to see what these two teams can kind of build off of that next matchup down in Richmond. Yeah, that was a, I remember that game. That was pretty insane, and that was kind of right in the heart of Maryland's kind of midweek struggles of trying to find a starting pitcher. I thought that UNC on March 20th was one of the obvious answers. I didn't actually think you were going to go with that one. I thought you were going to go – May 1st at West Virginia in Morgantown um, because, well, last last year these two teams, West Virginia and Maryland, played three times. The Terps had a comeback win in the regular season in a midweek game in College Park. Very exciting, kind of like that Richmond game. But then in the regional in Winston-Salem, West Virginia beat Maryland in game one and then knocked the Terps out in game three. So that's kind of a revenge situation for Maryland. And I'm excited to see how that one turns out. And then I think, you know, we just mentioned this, but the argument can also be made for North Carolina on March 20th. The Tar Heels last year, the number two overall seed in the country before losing in its own regional, regional almost inexplicably. Um, but those are a couple really important games on Maryland's schedule. And, Connor, we kind of talk about this every year where, look, the Big Ten is a power conference, but in terms of college baseball – it's really not at the top. So you have to build the RPI with some of these midweek games. And you mentioned it at Richmond, at North Carolina, at West Virginia. I mean, this is obviously very early to be talking about this. However, those are three kind of games where Maryland can build up strength of schedule, build up RPI, because those would be very impressive wins. Yeah, they got another non-conference game against Coastal Carolina, who people remember won the national championship a few years ago. So the Terps do really need to do that, get some big non-conference wins this year. Because, again, they're you know not looking like a roster that's maybe going to run through the Big Ten and get an easy bid into the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to fight, scratch and claw, and get some big wins early in the season to boost that resume so they can get themselves in the NCAA tournament again this year. And the other midweek games, some of the usual customers for Maryland, there's William & Mary a couple times, you have VCU, you have Delaware. There's a game in, against Elon during spring, spring break during that trip down to North Carolina, uh, James Madison. And there's the game against Towson in the Ripken Cup, which is always exciting. So a number of games uh, that should be fun in the midweek for Maryland. A weekend there's a weekend tournament at Coastal Carolina, like you said, Radford, CCU, and Ball State. Ball State, a team that beat Maryland on opening day last year. So that's kind of another revenge game uh, that should be fun. Now let's move to question two. Most interesting weekend series for you. 
Now, I think you might have the same answer here. I'm not completely sure, but I'm going to go to the very end of the season, Thursday, May 17th through May 19th. And that's the Indiana Hoosiers taking on the Terps in Bloomington. The last time the Terps went to Bloomington, that was last season. And it was a wild series. A couple games that were delayed by rain had to be made up the next day. The Terps lost a game in less than nine innings on Sunday because they couldn't get the whole game in in time, lost two of three and just a crazy series in Indiana. So it'll be a time when we know a lot more about the Terps, obviously, than we do now in the last <clears throat> series of the year. But it'll be interesting to see how the Terps can respond after just playing an absolutely crazy series in Bloomington last year. Yeah, that was kind of nuts. Uh, I remember I was there last year and in the Friday game, there was a, a tornado warning. I believe, in the third inning, uh, which not only knocked Brian Schaefer out for the rest of the series because he threw a few innings and he wasn't going to come back the next day, but uh, Taylor Smythe and I had to sit in a closet for about 20 minutes until uh, the hurricane warning went or tornado warning, whatever it was, went away. So that was very interesting. Uh, it got a little bit chippy on Sunday, and after the rain delay, Maryland wasn't able to hold on, uh, ended up losing that series two out of three. And the other interesting quirk with that is that series ends on Saturday, May 19th. Wednesday, May 23rd in Omaha is the start of the Big Ten tournament. So all assuming Maryland gets to the Big Ten tournament, they're going to have to go straight from Bloomington to Omaha, which is kind of another quirk all in that. There's going to have to be a lot of packing done uh, before the trip out to Bloomington on the 17th. Yeah, the Terps are going to be able to come home in between that Big Ten tournament and that Indiana series, but I'm sure the Terps will be happy to travel right to Omaha from Bloomington. You know they don't want to be one of the teams that's missing the Big Ten tournament because if you do that, there's little to no chance you're going to be in the NCAA tournament as well. So I'm sure it's a trip the Terps won't mind. But I think by the time we get to that Indiana series, we're going to know a lot about Maryland and their path over the season. And I think Indiana is going to be another good team this year that the Terps will have a chance to get a couple good wins in against before the Big Ten tournament starts. So that was actually not my choice for the most interesting weekend series. It was in my top three. It came down to that series at Indiana, April 13th through the 15th at Michigan, and then the one I ultimately cho chose, which was May 4th through May 6th at Nebraska in Lincoln, uh, mostly because of the fact that Nebraska won the Big Ten regular season last year. Maryland played a good series out in Lincoln last year, uh, lost two of three, but played well. And Nebraska is just going to be a very good team again. They return a lot of pieces, as does Maryland. Those two teams we all expect to be towards the top of the Big Ten. And by the way, if you're wondering, uh, why is Maryland going back to Nebraska this year? Why is Maryland going back to Bloomington this year after playing at both those schools last year? Uh, the Big Ten schedule reset this year, so everything was kind of random who was playing who where. But I think that, that Nebraska series should be very interesting. And you and I... Uh, have talked about this a little bit. It's right in the middle of this brutal end of the season stretch for Maryland, where three of the last four weekend series and 11 of the last 14 games are all away from College Park. It starts on April 27th with a series at Michigan State, then that Tuesday, the midweek at West Virginia, then they go to Nebraska, then the Ripken Cup in Aberdeen. So that's technically kind of a neutral site game. But Towson, much closer to Aberdeen. So I guess you could kind of say they're the home team. Sandwiched in there on May 11th through the 13th is a home series against Rutgers. And then they finish at Indiana. So that last stretch of the season is going to be very tough for Maryland. So I just kind of 
picked out of a hat and went with the series at Nebraska as the one I am most looking forward to. Yeah, you know Nebraska is going to be one of the teams that's going to kind of be the cream of the crop in the Big Ten again this year. And you talked about that stretch. It's going to be important for Maryland with that series at Nebraska to maybe it'll you'll look at it as a series where, hey, you got to go in and get at least one win and get out with such a tough stretch. But kind of looking at that stretch, when they have those three home games against Rutgers at the end of the season, it's going to be extremely important for Maryland to probably sweep those games against the Scarlet Knights because of such a tough schedule that surrounds those three home games. Absolutely. And now uh, our final question for this little game we're playing about the Terps schedule. Most interesting game, and I'm going to go first on this one, and for me, absolutely no doubt in my mind, it is March 23rd, the Friday night game on the back end of spring break. Maryland hosts Stetson, and there is one reason that this is the most interesting game of the season for me, and his name is Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert is the Friday night starter for Stetson. Any outlet you look at, he's one of the top 10 picks in next year's draft. At least that's projected right now. He's one of the top five college players in the country, and he's just a special, special arm. He was the A-Sun Pitcher of the Year last year, pretty much dominated on the Cape with the Orleans Firebirds this summer, and he's going to be an incredibly difficult task for Maryland. For me, as an outsider, from my perspective, I'm just incredibly excited to watch that guy pitch. Yeah, 12 starts last season, his ERA just a tick over two. And then back in his freshman year, I mean, the ERA was still under three as well. And as you said, with Orleans, a 172 ERA over the summer. I mean, he's just he just strikes out everybody when you watch him pitch. 107 Ks last year, just 26 walks. Terps going to have to be very patient facing Gilbert next season. And that's going to be a big game against Stetson. And I know it's not the sexiest weekend series really but Stetson is a team that has a chance this year to maybe grab a at-large bid in the NCAA tournament and especially have a good chance to win the A-Sun and get into the tournament so there's still three big games against the Terps for Stetson and for Maryland you know the biggest one though comes Friday to show what they can do against one of the best college pitchers. Right and when, and when we're looking at strength of schedule at the end of the season I don't exactly know how deep the committee looks at it but Potentially a weekend sweep, let's say, over Stetson, you know, maybe doesn't look like a weekend sweep against a Michigan or something like that. But if you can beat Logan Gilbert on a Friday night, that certainly means something. And for people who may not know, Stetson is a very legitimate baseball program. I mean, I don't know exactly how many people have heard of the school, but that's where Jacob deGrom went to college. That's where Corey Kluber went to college. So they have a history of producing some pretty darn good pitchers and by all indications, Gilbert's going to be the next one. So that game is my most interesting of the season. Where are you looking? You know, this might kind of be a cop-out, Justin, but my, the game I'm most looking forward to, Friday, February 16th, Terps take on Tennessee. That's the season opener right there. That, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I, I, I mean, I'll give it to you, but wow. I mean, that's, that's the suck-up teacher on the first day answer, but go, go ahead. I mean, look, it's not like they're opening the season against some lower level non-conference barely d1 team they're taking on the tennessee volunteers a solid program from the sec terps been playing sec schools pretty much every year the last few years and you know you want to get some big wins over those teams they went down to lsu to start last season didn't get the maybe the number of wins they wanted but they look good against the tigers in a few of those games and it, it'll be a big spot for the terps to maybe hopefully get a couple of wins against tennessee in that series and start the season off strong with some good wins against arguably the best baseball conference in America. 
Yeah, and, and I think that series against Tennessee is very interesting and exciting for a number of reasons. One, it will be two first-year head coaches getting their start. Rob Vaughn, obviously, from Maryland. And the other thing is that, yeah, they've been playing these SEC schools the last few years. Um, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to say this Tennessee series is more, quote-unquote, doable than LSU last year. Like you said, they played well but got swept. LSU was one of the best teams in the country, absolutely no doubt. They lost in three games in the College World Series final, so that tells you how good of a team they were. And that's a really tough task for Maryland. But Tennessee is a good team, but sort of towards the bottom of the SEC. You understand by the fact that they fired their coach at the end of last year that things are not exactly where the volunteer athletic department wants it right now. And, you know, not trying to take anything away from the Tennessee program, but you sort of feel like that's an opportunity for Maryland to go down, win a game or two, and get off to a really solid start, whereas last year they got out of it but got themselves in a little bit of a deep hole early starting the season one and five, losing to Ball State and Louisville in Clearwater, beat Alabama State down there, and then got swept by LSU. One and five is a tough hole to dig out of. This year you kind of feel like there's a chance the Terps can get off to a hot start. Yeah, I think that's why maybe it's my most interesting game to look at because there is a very good chance that the Terps go in there and take two of three at least from the Volunteers, as you said. Program struggling a little bit in the SEC, a brand-new head coach. Probably a little bit less of a seamless transition than it was for Maryland to just have Rob Vaughn take over the program. But as you said, the Terps three in Tennessee, and then it's William and Mary on the road, and then three back at home against Army. And then after another midweek, it's that tournament in Coastal Carolina. I mean, the Terps could accumulate six or seven wins in those first about 10 games of the season. The Terps have a good chance to get off to a hot start this year as opposed to last year. As you said, they started one and five and had to kind of climb out of that hole a little bit, even though three of those losses were to arguably the best team in college baseball, if you look at it last year. Absolutely. So before we finish, Connor, I asked Coach Muscara about this a little bit. I'm going to throw this in as a bonus question for you. That game, February 16th, Friday night in Tennessee, in Knoxville, who's on the mound for Maryland? Your best guess. You know what? You would think it would be Bloom looking at how the seasons went last year. But you know what? I think Taylor Bloom gets the Friday night start there. He's the senior guy. He's going to be the leader of the staff, at least from a veteran standpoint. You're going into an SEC school the first game of the season. And I think as the season progresses, Tyler Bloom will be the Friday night starter for the Terps. But you know what? I think that first Friday night game goes to Bloom. The senior gets out there on the mound for the Terps. Well, it definitely will be interesting to see February 16th in Knoxville. We still have a little ways to go before that, but it's right around the corner. That'll pretty much wrap up episode 44 of this Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Corey Muscara, Terps pitching coach, for taking so much time out of his day to talk with us. And special thanks to you, Connor. Thanks so much, Justin. I'm just ready for the new year to start, <laughs> and that means Terps baseball is on the horizon. As always, follow us on Twitter for updates at MDBaseballNet. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash MDBaseballNet. Our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. If you like what you are hearing, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. As we have been doing all offseason, the podcast will be monthly. But hey, Connor, once February starts, you're going to be hearing our voices a lot because once the season starts, these podcasts are every week like last year. And 
I don't know if people are as excited for that as the season to st- as the season to start, uh, but I'm pretty excited for it. I hope you are. I mean, I hope the people know it's four games a week, one podcast a week. You have a chance to hear us five times a week once the middle of February comes around. So that is exciting. The other exciting thing happening right now is obviously the holiday and the new year. And from all of us at the Maryland Baseball Network, we hope you have a wonderful time with your families during this holiday season. We hope you had a great 2017, but we hope 2018 brings everyone everything they want and hopefully uh, a wonderful season for the Maryland baseball team and the Maryland baseball network. So for my partner, Connor Newcomb, I'm Justin Galanti. So long, everyone. Hey, hey, whoa.